we might get, oh, this is how you do the day's job, but we don't really understand what the culture and what the rules are, the unwritten rules about, oh, um, it's someone's birthday, who brings in the cake? Yeah. Uh, you know, who does, who washes up the teacups? All of those kind of things, which just other people seem to spot and 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 do. Yeah. It's almost sometimes for us we need to be told about the unwritten rules, and I think it's the same with relationships. Yeah. It's it, it's it, it can become a bit. Um, a bit tricky, at least, yeah. A bit I tricky. I didn't realise we had so much in common. I, I've never interviewed anyone with whom I have such an empathy. Your experiences are so much like mine. And the way you see things, it's, that's very, very, very true. It's, it's kind of autistics. There's a lot of autistics, you know, they've never been so hand-to-hand with reality on their own. You know, mm. As much as you have people, you're not like friendless and, and sort of familyless, and you have... Children, nonetheless, there comes a point where, in order to survive, and you don't know you're autistic, you have to do things. It's like yeah. standing up to those kids in the cinema. I could have just sat there and watched them attack my friend. Yeah, uh, which I... they may well have done if he hadn't stepped in. Gorilla Aspie's podcast. Recorded and produced by Paul Wayne. Carly is a keynote speaker, a presenter, an author, a United Kingdom policy safeguarding professional since 2008, and sits on the advisory board of the National Autistic Society Knowledge and Expertise Board. The Barbican London, Autistica Insights, NHS England Immunisation Board, Heathrow Airport if you want to have a flight, Motability Consumer Brute if you want to get around, East Midlands Rail if you want the train, and an independent member of, gasp for breath, the Ministry of Justice, Her Majesty the Queen's Community and Voluntary Honours Committee UK, Royal Society of Arts Fellow, Consortium Partner for Oliver McGowan, Mandatory Training of NHS Health and Social Care Staff, Co-Chair of the Executive Steering Group of the National NAS, again, I told you there's more, and Royal Mencap for the Oliver McGowan, Mandatory Training for All UK NHS Health and Social Care Staff. Also, she was in the top 100 UK... UK female entrepreneurs in 2020. She does independent reviews of medical scholastic articles intended for Springer Publishing. And she was on the BBC in the Class Act Media Trained uh, and made a wonderful interview with a friend of mine, Daniel, about um, questions asked of autistic people, things neurotypical say to autistics, which was quite funny. I have to say, this is probably the most moving podcast I've recorded because... Carly turned the tables and more or less interviewed me during this recording, which was very kind of her and an honour. And I feel we have a huge amount in common, much more than I realised. We we haven't really been allowed the uh, luxury of a lot of close contact. It's always been at a distance. Oh, you look well. I'm not bad. Not bad at all. Lots of Zooms today. Um, Only little ones and all very enjoyable. So I've had to do my hair and put my makeup on. Oh, you look lovely, love. Don't worry about that. Oh, you don't look proper, you are. <laughs> put my hair and makeup on. The whole ethos of what I'm doing is the complete opposite. You're meant to take all that off, dear. You, you can get out of bed with the head like that, like I do. Because these days, you see me, I'm like that. Look at this, big, great big thing coming up. And we go, ooh, like that. We come in I like humans. that. Do you really? Do you, do you, you like should that? grow it. And do you know what it would be like? And this is a compliment. Thank you. Firestarter. Firestarter? Stephen King? Oh, no, no, the... Fi- uh, oh, he ended up the dead. <gasps> Poor fella, yeah, Firestarter. I know the hair, I know the hair. Yeah, 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 he was running around. Very 90s. <laughs> I'm ba- I feel ashamed now. I feel ashamed. <laughs> oh, uh, that's what they always used to say, you know. I feel ashamed, you know. All the Liverpool <laughs> girls would work it in the conversations. We were like, Carly, my goodness. So how have you been before we begin? Um, yeah, up and down. Yeah. There's been challenges around, obviously, it's all lockdown, then not lockdown, then lockdown, then not lockdown. And then yeah. we're not locked down, but we still feel that we should be doing things. And, and that, <laughs> there's been some positives, though, Paul, with uh, my daughter being home ed. Yeah. There's so many courses now online that weren't around before because the whole of the nation had to be mm. home educated. So actually, there's been some positives there. Good. But the unpredictability hasn't been nice, has it? I don't know how you found it. 
which, which the was, unpredictability of it all. That, that was the first casualty. That's why I say to him, the first thing you lost was any certainty. Mm. You don't know what's going on, what's going to happen with COVID, what your body's going to do if it gets it, gets over it. You don't know if it's going to come back. You have the vaccines. You don't know what's going to happen. There's crazy folk walking around. I don't know what else to call them, saying that there is no COVID. Well, we've got nothing to worry about. And then, like their bodies are indestructible and stay the same forever. It's a very uh, strange time to be alive, isn't it? It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. And hopefully one that we'll be able to tell children or grandchildren or nephews and nieces about when they're, when they're older. Um, but it's not old. very nice. It's not very nice at all. No, it's good you've got the sense. I talk to a lot of people who realise what's going on. Because Rialina, for example, has postdoctoral qualifications in vaccines. You talk to her about it, she goes, and you expect some huge, complicated explanation of what's going on. She just goes, get vaccinated. And yeah. That's it. She's my. Um, I'm just going to turn some of my tabs off because I'm cautious of them pinging at us. Right, let's get rid of the rest of the internet. It's just me and you, Paul. They can all. Ping away, and I'll ping back later. <laughs> she's marvelous, isn't she? And she delivers yes. such great comedy. Big fan really. of hers. She's a very clever woman. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she got in the top ten jokes for the Ember Festival one year because the line, "I wanted to be a feminist, but my husband wouldn't let me." <laughs> <laughs> and if you spat my diet coke out, then that's, oh god, that's sorry. Your t-shirt. <laughs> That should be a, a slogan on a T-shirt. I love it. I think the pair of us came to autism late, didn't we? We didn't actually know we were autistic. And we had... Well, how, lo- how old are you when you were diagnosed, Paul? I was 41. No way. Do you know what happened to me? What? I was arrested in a cinema for attacking children. <gasps> really? No, what happened was it's in The Guardian. <laughs> oh, God, my, I was trying to panic then. My friend and I went to the pictures. We're both uh, 41. No sure since we were 10. And he was on his first child. His wife had a baby. And I was helping them move in Bristol. So we went to the cinema to basically give him an easy time. And these little kids made out we attacked them. There was a 15, 14, 13, 11-year-old. Two of them from Liverpool, two from Bristol. Little buggers. And they spent about an hour of the film causing a lot of trouble in front of us and being aggressive and everything. My friend went to speak to one of them. I jumped up, grabbed one on the shoulder because I was certain they were going to attack him. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise I wouldn't have done it. Uh, yeah. And they looked at me, looked at the, I, I, was, I stood over these people like I was going to die. That's yeah. it, someone's going to shoot me. And they all ran out and made out, I strangled one of them. Oh yeah. my God, Paul. And what happened was the lad, it was a 15 year old from Liverpool, he walked up to the manager and said, this fella put his hands around my throat and tried to strangle me. Which, if he'd only thought about it, he should have sort of gone, but it's And he said he must have rubbed his neck or something, or he did that when the police came the next day. Uh, oh, which is a bit, well. There were no bruises. They didn't get the doctors to look at the kids the next day, because why should they? There was nothing wrong with them, you know. <laughs> they managed to come up with a red mark, but if you, if you, if a grown man in his 40s put, stands over a 15-year-old, puts pressure mm. on the neck, you get various kinds of lividity yeah. brute there's nothing um so uh we the manager came in and said right we're going to arrest you calling the police and walked out my mate and i sitting in a cinema with this film going instead of going for the door the exit we went outside so what's going on the police came and i then went into shock for the next like it took me about three days to get over it um, oh, and then well. interviewed in the police station and, and we just thought it was a joke you know but they charged us to court Oh, golly. So I was like, oh, bloody hell. Seven months later, we were completely acquitted of this. But during this process, my sister-in-law, who is brilliant, she says, you've got autism. You've got Asperger's syndrome. I'm like, oh, because oh, 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 we had brilliant arguments. Um, and she's convinced of this. She spends weeks on end phoning around getting me the diagnosis. I get diagnosed on the 8th of December. Then I'll be birthday after that, and then we go to court for two days, and I'm acquitted. Yeah. And then I go oh, in a social group, and I meet Dinah Murray in, in Alag, Autism London, and I'm like, oh my god, you did that? It's like meeting cousins you didn't know you had, isn't it? Yeah, and, and yeah. that was it, and I'm left with a diagnosis, a freedom pass, and and several years later I get married. Was it a good film that you missed? Oh, you have to ask. The one question that I never want anyone to ask, you can ask me about getting hauled through court, you can ask me about being arrested for attacking kids, but don't ask me what the film was. 
<clears throat> it was Van it Helsing. Is it, it Bambi or something? Very embarrassing. It was Van Helsing. Well, That's nothing not embarrassing. Else. There's nothing else on, for God's sake. It was like an eye, you know, something like by, um, you know, uh, Nicholas Rogue or something, you know, or a Ridley Scott. No, it was, it was Van Helsing. Um, it's really, do you know what, that, I mean, I make a laugh to you saying, you know, did you miss a good film? But in all honesty, that being, I, I remember the vulnerabilities of not, being diagnosed and not not knowing your own vulnerabilities, how the hell did you get through that court process? You're absolutely on your last mental nerve. Because I have dedicated my entire life to turning myself into a brutal alpha male mm-hmm. who's like an ex-soldier, who's like some kind of cyborg. I mean, there's a process from the age of 16 to the age of 21 where I kind of weaponized myself as a human being to withstand the world and yeah. ended up doing martial arts training for a year stuff like that mm-hmm. i mean i was a class joke you do a kick and fall over that actually happened because i had no ability at sports and i was the weedy guy who was always picked on and then i turned the whole thing around because i got into acting and drama even got to east 15 drama school lasted a year of the three-year course because obviously wasn't in any fit state uh, and ended up doing a degree in a polytechnic where I was actually victimised for about a year by student political societies. Then after that, everyone's trying to support me. I yeah. ended up doing four years to get a three-year degree, and I'm so glad you asked. Then did a postgrad in computing science. Um, wasn't much good at any of it because of the stress. Found a Buddhist movement, so it's just process after process of pulling it together. Never got mm-hmm. into drinking drugs, because if I'd started smoking or drinking, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. I knew yeah. That. yeah. So that, it's very, I think there's some parallels in our lives, isn't it? Because you've been incredibly brave on the quiet and not everyone can quite understand, I think, what you faced and how you've handled it on your own. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, yeah it was um, interesting. Is that yeah. putting it too mildly? Oh, Inter- well, see, that's, that's what the brave do. They sort of English, so, oh, it's no big deal. And there's people like bombs going on. <laughs> Just a little bit of noise there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this I is. Have you seen up. that meme online? And it's uh, it's a cartoon character sat having a cup of tea, and everything around this cartoon character is in flames. So it's just like, oh, this is fine. So, yeah. well, you have to. You were uh, were you not at one point divorced and pregnant and homeless? Ah, no, I was fifteen. I lived in a mother and baby home, yeah. Wow. Well, well, that was when my daughter was born, actually lived in the mother and baby home. She had to have a baby to live in the mother and baby home. Right. So um, when I fell pregnant, okay. um, I often start keynotes with a joke, particularly because the rebel in me, um, particularly if it's a university or, or a school, yeah. and I start the keynote with, um, thanks for inviting me into your educational sphere. It's lovely to be back at school, seeing the only test I passed was clear blue. And they seem to like that. Pass that with flying colours. <laughs> but pass that one well. That. And that, that's in, that tends to kind of break the ice a bit. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't get invited back, but that's fine. You will do in 10, 20 years. <laughs> because you represent reality, you see, and they're still cosseting kids, isn't it? It's true, they still want particularly autistic people, a certain sort of, I see this a lot, this sort of, don't be horrible to me, I'm delicate, you know, and people like us. I mean, you've seen stuff. I can't even begin to imagine that. You know, did you have yeah. support from your parents? I was very lucky. My, although I didn't live at home, my parents called and they did help out a lot and still do to this day. So, yeah. you know, I, it's not um, anything that, you know, it's not their doing yeah. at all. They, Fabulous. And you've met Dad, haven't you? Matt, uh, Autism Pride in Reading. And yeah. we were show and watching <laughs> my dad watch you was uh, tug- tugged on the heartstrings. Oh. Because uh, I think it was really useful, not for all of us, but particularly for for men, say, 40, 50 plus. Yeah. Got nerves um, in a good way. Thank you. And, um, yeah, it was a lovely day, that, wasn't it? We had the weather as well, didn't we? We were lucky then. Turn that yeah. bloody generator off in the background, but otherwise it was good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we managed to keep it together and stuff, Aspies for three years, and did that as, as well. But uh, in the end, you just, 
it was really cruel. My weaponized sort of what I put myself through. And also I grew up in a house with a lot of, um, it's very odd. It was a very loving family. Mm. Okay, so you grew up in this very loving family and the whole thing was brutal. And it got more and more brutal. So you're either having a laugh with each other or there was really heavy arguments and screaming. Yeah. My, my poor father, yeah. and the, in the end, the bipolar half of him, his half autistic, mm. half bipolar, that kind of took over. And yeah. he became this Jekyll and Hyde figure with two Pauls for sons. Yeah. One, one was he liked his son. The other one was a monster he hated. So every now and again, he'd go through the bipolar thing and he'd start attacking me and doing anything to hurt me he could while he could. So you come out of this as sort of psychological marine commando. As yeah. Well. And it, it was all this thing about you've you got to take pain and go with pain. And I think you'd, you'd know about that. You've seen, you must have seen a lot of dark corners where there's just you and you've got a yeah. baby. And what are you going to do? Drink? What are you going to do? Fall to pieces? No, you don't fall to pieces. You know what I mean? You've got to swim in the water and you don't know how to. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to yeah. find somewhere staying afloat. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, also sometimes, and I see this a lot in the autistic communities, people might see me or you and go, oh, look, look at them vocalising. Look at them having a laugh. Look at them doing good or okay, in my case, things. Yeah. And they don't see the disability, but actually that that smile, that humour, often yeah. we've got quite dark, that um, way of getting by isn't from naivety. It's from seeing actually the world at its absolute worst and yeah. still getting through it. Yeah. But people don't see that. They just go, oh, look at this naive person who doesn't really understand the adult world. No, we do. <laughs> Probably far too early, far too young. It's, it's, it's that. It's a smile of resilience, not a smile of naivety. And, and I see that a lot. Yeah. Underestimated is the word. It's amazing what you're saying. Amazing. It, it's just, you know, my wife has seen that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. God knows what happened to Dinah Murray. You know, Dinah walked as a man, didn't she? Yeah. In fact, yeah. She, I, I asked if I could call, because I'd call Anne my autism mum. You know, if, if you know, you know, if you've got a certain problem, you might go to your mum. Yeah. And if you've got a certain problem, when it comes to autism advocacy and campaigning, yeah. um, if it, there are certain things I would go to Anne Mehmet for advice, yeah. and certain things I go to Dinah for yeah. for advice. And right. uh, so I said, "Oh, you and Anne are like my autism mums." And she went, "Can I be your autism dad?" <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I'd always message her going, "All right, autism dad." Anne Mehmet um, is brilliant, isn't she? Absolutely oh, brilliant. Yeah. So the stuff she puts out is just like, wow, it's got to be said, isn't it? I tried to get her on the podcast, but she said, oh, I didn't want to do it. Oh, she's too modest, you know. She's incredibly modest. God, man. Isn't she? Yeah. So it, it all started when you were you're 15, you had a baby. How old is, is your first child now, daughter? 23. 23? Oh! Yeah. And how, how old's the homeschool one? 13. So, the, yeah, my youngest is 13, eldest is 23, and then I've got a 19 in the middle. All girls. Oh. That's hence why I keep dyeing my hair. Because <laughs> it's the going grey, primitively, <laughs> from, from raising girls. <laughs> it's true. It ages you. Jesus. <laughs> and it's, it's autism lot. Our life expectancy is so bad, we don't need pre-aging, do we? It's <laughs> <laughs> wow, because you you've performed you I, you've done a lot of theatre as well, like I have. Yeah, I'm not very good at theatre. I'll be honest with you. I, I've got this theory that you don't have to be good at something to enjoy it. Yeah. So I say that I enjoy acting more than the audience enjoy me acting, but that's okay. I'm having fun. Um, but yeah, I like a uh, <laughs> It's fine. TV and film, and I love comedy. I've just yeah. written a little script, and I'm waiting to hear back on that. It'll probably be a rejection. But, but you know, a sort of lot, we, we're used to rejections, so that's fine. We'll just try again next week. You can film them yourself. I could film them for you. you just put, I've got cameras and everything and edit stuff. You can just put it together. That's how you do it now. Just Not a bad idea. Yeah, just stick it together yourself. Put it together yourself, and then if they like it, they can do a whole reinvention of it. But I, I would just go out and do it. I mean, I started me on TV show with Puppet. I started playing with toys, didn't I? I've gone stark raving mad. I'm, on the, I'm still finishing episode one of season two of The Warzoners with the action men. 
just set on the submarine. It's completely bonkers, you know. I don't think it is. I don't think that is bonkers. <laughs> to me, no, seriously, I think that's completely normal. I think people suppress all the things they want to do yeah. because, you know, socially acceptable. Oh, sod that, you know. I know. You've got to do what you want to do. And, and people people will enjoy it. Yeah. So you're not alone in it, are you? Well, I've always been like that. I, I could never compromise myself. I've always relatively made a fool of myself because I just had to be honest to yeah. myself but but the thing with the acting is it was the one time in some ways you could engage with the world like a neurotypical yes what, absolutely yeah and this energy in and, and relating as well you were okay doing because we all we do is mask i um it was really interesting because after i was diagnosed i said oh you know another way to help prepare for things is kind of think out what you're going to say, what the other, say you're going to the dentist, you know, what you're going to say to the receptionist, what the receptionist says back, what happens next, social stories. And I thought, well, that's just a script. And I think I I miss acting a lot when I'm not acting. But advocacy is, I I describe acting as my first love and Mm. advocacy as my spouse. Because that's my lifelong duty. That's what I'm, I eat, you know, wake up in the morning to do and and go to bed at night thinking about and work yeah. for. But uh, it's, it, yeah, the um, acting, I, it's one of those things, I, I, I miss it when I'm not doing it. And yeah. I think, well, that's because it's the only time I know what happens next. Yeah, yeah. I know what I have to say. I know what the other person's going to say. And the best thing about it, if I make a mistake, someone just says cut and, they, yeah. and then you get to try again yeah. and again. And in real life, you don't get no one shouting. You're waiting for some chill cut, and no one is. And I just got to keep improvising. Mm. Um, and normally, much to the uh, real life audience disappointment. <laughs> so um, thinking, oh, I didn't say that right, or I didn't, you know, said the wrong thing again, or you know. So and in acting, I'm, I'm I'm always getting it right. The thing with that is that with the advocacy, you're facing the world, and you can tell the truth on your own terms and be. Yeah. sincere with the acting that was how we always engaged with the world you had to develop the technique of saying the right things we didn't have natural set of psychological emotional responses you know yeah. you've had to engage a family raising kids and, and relationships yeah. for goodness sake and, and not knowing you're autistic and you find out so with the advocacy you're free and the thing with yeah. performing is quite simply all you've got to do is be really engaged with your own sincerity and then yeah. if you can perform that, I got it with stealth aspects. I lost my acting technique because there was always a gap between me and the characters. That was my technique. Yeah. But then I go on stage and I'd be performing these autistic people and I mm-hmm. find myself in them and there was no gap. And I was yeah. completely floundering doing character. I couldn't do any character acting. Yeah. Because I couldn't, I could, it's me up there. I just couldn't, I couldn't, trying to put a voice on and a body language or a doctor or Liverpool. There was a guy, a long monologue, who put on a Scouse accent and hid from the audience and did it like a radio show, you know. And then I put on another one as a transgender person. The way to play a transgender person when you're like a big white hetero guy is to play it completely straightforward. And then everyone yeah. projects on it and says, wow, you really captured the truth. <laughs> Do you know what? You've just raised a really good point there, Paul, because um, I, I was diagnosed at 32, but I did right. go for a diagnosis at about 27 and also at 14, actually, but that was both of those. Uh, well, at 14, they said I was lazy. Yeah. Because I, actually I had catatonia. Um, right. uh, at 27, um, they said, oh, yeah, you know, you look very autistic on paper and all the AQ tick boxes and all that yeah. malarkey. Um, but they said, oh, you know, if, if your hobbies are acting, you can't be autistic because you wouldn't put yourself in someone else's shoes. And my reply to that was, I don't put myself in someone else's shoes. I just allow them to walk in mine. It's like almost yeah. reverse acting. So it's, it, when I'm acting, it's always me. Yeah. But I'm just letting that character be me for a while. Yeah. The other way around. Very much what we were taught in transformational character acting that you basically somebody possesses you and and they just yeah. run around in your in your body. I had some great times doing that. And once they they were trying to get rid of me at the drama school in the second term, so they got me to play Macbeth. So I was <laughs> oh around gosh, the there's a nude scene in Macbeth, isn't there, Paul? Titanium broadsword and a cape, you know, being intense. It was a recipe for disaster. Then after that, they were nice to me. They made me play Friar Lawrence, thankfully. Ah, oh, Benedicite, beautiful Friar Lawrence. 
you know, the, the, out of Romeo and Juliet. But yeah, bloody <laughs> stones have been known to move and trees to speak, you know. <laughs> it's a recipe. So how exactly, at what point, when did it happen that you discovered that you were autistic? That Ah, well, so I say I, I went at 14. That was obviously I was a minor and my parents took me to see a psychologist and the word autism wasn't ever used. Yeah. I went to, when I was 27, it's because my girls, two of my girls have been diagnosed autistic and I thought, oh, I better go and get myself looked at because I was having real struggles in life, relationships, um, friendships, yeah. work, everything really falling apart. Um, and I, I was almost a caricature of myself. I, you know, it wouldn't be, oh, let's put some mascara on to face the day. You know, women describe it as their war paint. It would be, let's yeah. put three pairs of eyelashes on. Let's be fake town from head to toe. Let's wear wigs. Let's, you know, even had surgery done on my face and my body. Um, just wanting to be a caricature of what I what I thought it was to be female as yeah. well. I've always, I don't yeah. know whether I'm gender fluid. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a, you know, my pronouns are she and her, but, um, but it was almost like to feel like a woman, I have to be almost like a female drag queen. Everything was a, you know, 200% yeah. masking constantly yeah. exhausted by that. And, um, so I thought I'd better go and although I didn't know what masking was then I do now I can look back and go, Oh, that's why I did it. Um, but that was a no. And it wasn't, it was after that that I saw a kind of, um, I think it was Rudy Simone's, had done like a kind of tick list. So the kind of tick list of what you hear about autism is, you know, kind of, do you like trains? Or, you know, all that, the kind of really stereotypical stuff. But her stuff was really different. You know, it's things like might either be in very intense relationships or be completely celibate. And I thought, yeah, that is exactly how I've always lived my life, either long periods of celibacy or in really intense relationships, maybe marriage, you know. Yeah, right, me too, yeah. I was like... Yeah. Oh, that ticked a box. And then it said, you know, might find it easier to spend time with animals, may prefer to spend time with animals than humans. That is me to a T. Yeah. In a field with animals for the rest of my life, I'll be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and there was many more things on there about, you know, kind of instead of that kind of lack of empathy, being really hyper hyper empathetic yeah. which I am yeah. I saw problems as my own rather than yeah. their problems right. it becomes yeah, my yeah, yeah, yeah. all of these things on this list there was tons and I was just it's just like someone had watched me from birth made notes and kind of showed me it one day yeah and, and I really knew um for sure even though you know it had been explored before that's when I really knew and I thought actually what they were looking for was a very different to what's going on but it's still autism it's yeah. just not you know it's very interesting autism. you say all that because so much description of autistic people isn't autism at all it's like the hyper empathetic yeah. in order to survive i had this i, I mean I, I took a vow of semi-celibacy in about when i was about 28 that's it no relationship nothing or, yeah you know if you don't get a relationship with somebody then you don't go near them so you'd have these yeah. long periods of celibacy in which you were developing your capacity just to have friendships with the gender i'm attracted to to women uh, and, and trying to be someone where they knew where they stood in relation to you and and so on and it's it's I don't like all this incel business has come along it's a bit sick isn't it seems mm. to be sort of a weaponized attitude towards single men mm. you know, that such people are some sort of potential monsters when it simply isn't true you know no it's it's hard enough for women that you know either have very intense or quick fast relationships or choose to be celibate it's it's although some other women even you know even other women must go oh, that's a bit odd um but if it's a, if a man having that type of lifestyle i can't even imagine the misunderstandings that would happen there and in many ways you know i talk have done for the last 13 years talk to everyone's ears off about autism and girls but the vulnerabilities autistic men have been misunderstood when it comes to relationships yeah vast oh, yeah, it's, it's going to shoot first ask questions later you have to get the sex in order to feel something in order to gauge with the individual to have the relationship but you, mm -hmm. you, you traditionally <laughs> relate to women as being wanting the relationship as yeah. much if not first to know that this guy actually gives a damn about them whether they're in a relationship with somebody or not just having sex with somebody yeah. uh, assuming that's what they want 
Oh, confusion. And, and then there's the grey area that causes all the trouble. People don't know what the hell they want. Yeah. Because suddenly there's a lot of... I think with puberty and sex comes a huge amount of, of responsibility, which our schools are not instilling into people. No, we get told the biology, but we don't get told yeah. the emotional oh, yeah. Yeah. emotional side. And, yeah. and, and, this, and the kind of... Um, the culture of it, I guess. And we, you know, let's say we went to work in an office, we might get, oh, this is how you do the day's job, but we don't really understand what the culture and what the rules are, the unwritten rules about, oh, um, it's someone's birthday, who brings in the cake? Yeah. Uh, you know, who does, who washes up the teacups? All of those kind of things, which just other people seem to spot and and, and do. Yeah. It's almost sometimes for us, we need to be told about the unwritten rules. And I think it's the same with relationships. Yeah. It's, it, it's it, it can become a bit um, a bit tricky, at least. Yeah, a bit I tricky. I didn't realise we had so much in common. I, I've never interviewed anyone with whom I have such an empathy. Your experiences are so much like mine, and the way you see things is that's very, very, very true. It's it's kind of autistics. A lot of autistics, you know, they've never been so hand to hand with reality on their own. You know, as much as you have people, you're not like friendless and, and sort of familyless, and you have children. But nonetheless, there comes a point where, in order to survive, and you don't know you're autistic, you have to do things. It's like yeah. standing up to those kids in the cinema. I could have just sat there and watched them attack my friend. Yeah, uh, which I, they may well have done if you hadn't stepped in. We'll never know. That's the well. That's 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 yeah. That's a good thing that they'll never know yeah. because what you did was very brave, and also. Let's say that you um, you weren't autistic. Would you have perhaps had the exquisite functioning, which I, you may well have, but mine is shocking, social imagination going, oh, I better not do that because this could be the consequence. <laughs> Didn't think about the consequences. You just tried to save your friend. Exactly. And there yeah. were diabolical consequences for you. Um, but you might, if you had not have been autistic, you might not have stood up for your friend without even thinking about yourself yeah. first. It's very true, though, actually, yeah. He got his diagnosis a few years later. Did he really? <laughs> it out. He was another one. He was an English teacher. So it, at what point did you, be, did you sort of go mainstream about being autistic and decide to, to work as an advocate? Oh, well, um, it was more with my mum hat on to begin with, 2008-ish, because I wasn't diagnosed till 2014 by yeah. Dr. John on a wing centre. Um, so it was more with my mum hat on. And then that evolved into talking about us autistic women that will never get a diagnosis. Yeah. Once, you know, once the penny had fully dropped. Oh. Um, <laughs> and then I went to, I uh, was very kindly invited. I did some... Um, short films online uh, I won't mention them because they're pretty bad but I did some short, <laughs> short films online, some fictional some not so fictional yeah. um, and, um, obviously some that the National Autistic Society had watched and then they uh, very kindly invited me up to Harrogate for yeah. the um, I think it was 2013 could have been 2012-2013 um, professionals conference and to talk about um, autistic women and girls and that kind of not being diagnosed or whatever and, and being a mum and uh, so I get up on this stage there's me thinking it'd be in like a little office room it was a huge stage and tons and tons of doctors from all over the world oh. and and I, and I stood up and I was doing my powerpoint presentation which was like mass overshare yeah. like the most oversharing um probably some bits too read to repeat now and, and that's because I now understand context whereas before I didn't so they must have been having a right laugh because uh, because I, I stood up in front of 400 odd internationally renowned doctors talking about tampons and one of them was anyway so I would, yeah I wouldn't repeat it now because now I know about my condition but anyway yeah. um there was a very nice lady who uh Carol Povey introduced me to and um a lady called Judy, and she kept asking me if I wanted a cup of tea and stuff. And I thought, oh, perhaps Judy's a volunteer. She's very <laughs> And then Judy invited me to dinner. And I yeah. thought, oh, you know, it could be McDonald's and Nando's. It wasn't. It's was a really posh dinner. And uh, there's me in my leather skirt. It's still with my 85 million hair extensions in. More orange than Donald Trump. And everyone's giving out business cards around yeah. this big oak round table. 
I didn't have any, obviously, and uh, just passed around napkins. And then the lady next to me, Judy, who I had assumed was a volunteer because she kept being very kind and asked me if I wanted a cup of tea, um, said, oh, here's my business card. You might need this. Mm. And I read the business card and it says Dr. Judith Gould on it. Yeah. And I turn around to Judy. I say, oh, do you know Dr. Judith Gould? <laughs> and of course it was Dr. Judith Gould. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I think at that point she uh, diagnosed me in her own mind anyway. Yeah. Then oh. I did get yeah. <laughs> I've met her a few times uh, in the autism centre. I managed to wangle it where I filmed her. So I got She's to talk to her. Yeah. That's funny that. Oh, this lovely lady take me to dinner and everything. What a sweet old who are you? What? You know, it's a tragedy <laughs> neither of us ever met Lorna, isn't it? Lorna Wing. I would have loved to have met Lorna. Uh, you know, I saw her in the foyer once or twice, yeah. I know that I never got to meet her, and I'm absolutely gutted about that. And I've, I, I've heard so much via Dr Gould um, about Lorna that I feel that I met her. I never did, but her her, her absolute legacy um, is, is so poignant that you feel like you've met her, even though you haven't. I remember I was in the poly in North London, it got to the point where I was being lied about. I was supposed to be some kind of psychotic or disturbed. And the reputation, of course, was taken back. But some of these people never got the message. So I'd bump into students even years later, every now and again over the years. And when you tried to tell people that you'd met somebody who thought you were deranged and dangerous and they had to warn people about it, they wouldn't believe it. And so I meet someone like Judith Gould. And I managed to get to talk to her for a long time. And you... I, I only stopped talking about this, this experience I had in 2003 when I went to Bristol and sort of recovered from this post-traumatic stress. And, and it's like, when I, when I share stuff like that, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know, I, I think now a lot of us have experiences like that one way or another. Yeah. yeah. You know. We've been infantilized or vilified. Good God. There's, there's your in life. Good God. Yeah. Infantilized or vilified. Yeah, you have to pick your choice. Am I going to be infantilised in this situation and seen as less than or seen as somebody who, you know, doesn't have capacity or am I going to be vilified in this situation? Have you That's seen, how it feels. Have you seen experiences like that yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you were talking about Judy, you were sharing that brilliant story and I was having a micro panic attack on the screen there thinking about an experience where that happened. I'm trying to share your experience, which is a brilliant story. And, and I'm going, listen... Listen to God, God's sake, listen, listen, you know, don't, don't. No, no, share your story because so, this is a two way so street. Look at us, we're communicating. Yeah, yeah. You're teaching me here because otherwise I'll just talk at people. This is well, good. Maybe you should share. talk at people. It's good stuff. <laughs> it's like I say about my book, you know, how to learn to listen to people despite always having something more interesting to say. You know? <laughs> in our opinion. <laughs> well, my wife listens. But, you know, I've been very lucky in my life. Have you had people. That you you were close to were like that, that you had one or two folks? Well, I noticed the differences I've had with friendships. This is actually part of my diagnosis mm-hmm. when, when we got friends, that, you know, I was always a bit puzzled by people on, particularly, you know, when Facebook came about, and it there would be people from school that were still in touch and they were going to each other's Hindus or baby showers or... Um, or or weddings and I thought gosh they knew each other when they were six and they're still hanging out and I thought that's unusual but that's the norm isn't it <laughs> and I thought, that's that's really strange because I'm quite good at making friends but I find it very hard to um to keep them yeah. maybe I've got a thing or you know I've got a new special interest and I've gone submarine for six months with my autism special interest in a submarine for 13 years but that's okay because um you know with uh with that there's lots of good crewmates in the autism and disability world which which are my friends submarining in a special interest with me so that's fine uh. <laughs> occasionally yeah. um but yeah friendships so I've, I had one friend I know I did um, I did open uni I didn't pass it I ran out of money and burnt out uh, you know two years into it right. uh, I've got a friend from uni and you yeah. know what we we can see each other maybe once a year yeah and it's just like we saw each other the day before uh, and I really to her um uh, and and my my friends and colleagues 
colleague stroke friends in the disability world and in the autism world are just in my life because they're they're everything rolled into one. Well, they have empathy. We have empathy for each other. We can we can relate. You see. Yeah. And I don't understand how you can have so-called um, a psychiatric condition, a mental condition, and and if it's an, if it's a disorder and disability, how can a mental condition give you empathy and the basis for loving relationships and even with your own children? How can it yeah. be a positive thing? And how can you have abilities from that? Yeah. Hey, eh? I thought it was you know proper disability. You don't get abilities. You can't function. You know, mm-hmm. I always I always say the same things in the podcast. I'm always asking everyone the same sort of questions. And a, a group of people did turn off on Twitter a few years ago who were entirely negative about everything autistic. And I thought, yeah. oh great, they're going to challenge all my ideas. And of course, all they ever did was represent being typical anal. Obsessed with their own idea, autistics who all related to each other, and were basically the very neurodiversity movement they hated, which I thought was hilarious. Yes, it kind of, it, it kind of went full circle. Yeah, <laughs> it all burned out in the end because one of them turned out to be a paedophile. And I, I know, I know who you're talking about. I yeah. was onto him, didn't I? I made a film January two thousand and when was it nineteen, challenging his identity. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that is yeah, pretty freaky, that. terrifying. And that's why it's so important, you know, we kind of say, you know, to uh, be it parents or schools or youth organisations, it's really important that, you know, you have um, older autistic people being mentors to autistic children. Only if they're DBS checked, only if they're, you know, professional insured advocates, you know, there's no cutting costs there because that horrendous situations like that can happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely diabolical. I can remember reading that and I, I remember that you were trying to warn people before, yeah. which again, you were doing like you did in that cinema that day, trying to safeguard people and not thinking about the consequences. Well, yeah, I, mean, I don't know what else Which is a good thing in this case, because it was horrendous. It was incredible. He got put away. He'd been put away for assaulting a child, and he was put away for grooming a child on uh, Twitter. That, yeah. There's something wrong with that Twitter, isn't there? Yeah. And, and I think just as parents as well, I mean, yeah. I, my young people use different online platforms and we can't be you know stalking their phones every two minutes but there does some of the girls i support we do safeguarding online safeguarding classes i could most say some come into the youth room come to the youth room we're going to do a lesson they'd be like no thanks so uh we do like uh might have parties or might have a i'll set up like a fake tiktok scene and then Mm. you know we talk about we have posters up and we talk about, oh, how could this be seen safe? How can it be anonymous online? What are your settings? Is this just for your connections? Is this your... And so we kind of have a discussion about it whilst eating lots of cake and having a good laugh and a dance rather than sit down, get your get your notepad out and make notes. And that's far more effective. But yeah, I've, I've supported some um, autistic girls who had horrendous situations in and boys yeah. in media. It's very but scary. still taking the clothes off and sending pictures of themselves naked to other people. For goodness sake, the one thing. That's incredible. It was a plot point of a, of a play on the Royal Court called, I saw called Linda, I think it was, where one of the daughters of the family had done that to a boy and the entire school got oh my to see God. She moved school three times and each, this is the story, and each time the whole school's meant to have seen the pictures. So she ended yeah. up living a whole life, this is a fiction, in a, in a big... Uh, onesie suit to hide mm-hmm. the self-harming scars she'd done on her arms. Oh, right? well, is that a film, that. is it? Or is that a theatre production? Theatre was a play. It was a play. You know, it's, it's yet another modern compendium of, of 21st century life. You know, it's a play. That, that would be quite a good, um, you know, our GCSE age kids, we tend to go, oh, go and watch Romeo and Juliet, which is fabulous. Yeah. But actually, maybe it's theatre productions like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that are, you know, not not you know, ten, eleven year olds, but you know, older secondary school should be going to watch. I think yeah. It would have been very good actually. The, the whole politics of the idea of there is a camera, there's a machine, okay, with a screen and a camera on the back of it, and this thing, you can just splurge a stream of consciousness into it, just go yeah. from your head inside, and it goes all over the whole planet. That's switched off. Every Sunday, I try to get away from it. I, I sometimes fail, but you try to get away from the online world and get back to the meditation world. Which is yeah. why even now you can see I've got my stool there, which is the meditation stool. And it just sits okay. there, even if I don't use it, just to remind me what I should be doing all the time, rather than watching yeah. the television, 
uh, or, or sitting there on the computer. It should be just getting a grip and developing beauty and unconditional loving kindness and then developing mindfulness as well, being present. Yeah. Uh, you know, and just just being grounded. And of course, my wife is, is amazing like that. She reads all the time. You give her her own study and do all her work, you know. Married my highest aspirations. But I couldn't... I, oh, if, I, if I had a... Can you just repeat that? That is one of the most beautiful things I've ever I heard. Married you married my highest aspirations. aspirations. I married a science teacher, you know. Oh, my God, a woman that's gorgeous. Of, of absolute integrity. Somebody you can totally trust. The kind of that's wife... That's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. ...betrayed and abused. She gets the kind of woman who gets a husband who betrays her and he plays games with her and he makes her guilty when she's not, you know, the kind of person who would get about a swine like that, you know, marrying them. And, and I found this incredible person and just, uh, I'm a very lucky man. Yeah, that, that's it. Everything inspired to, really. She's the husband. She's very brutal. Emotion, yeah. and I'm the wife, and the <laughs> give me a hug. She's like, oh, all right, get it over with. I'm trying to work. You know, it's great. You know, <laughs> she does ask for the odd hug, but it's mainly me. <laughs> oh, for God's sake, you know, <laughs> you're in the cast. Oh, bloody hell, it's brilliant. No, she's not like my, that. Uh, good, one know? of my very best friends is a gay man, <gasps> and um, the girls call him Gay Dad Brad. <laughs> and it, it has been known, particularly when the girls were younger. For uh, for the girls to come home from school when they were because I was the home ed now, yeah. and uh, get off the school bus, come in. I'd be sat at the dinner table typing away, working, and he'd have his pinny on. He's just baked a cake and put his lipstick on, and it was kind of like I was Mr. Banks and he was Mary Poppins. Yeah, and it worked. It worked. And it was, and it felt as a autistic woman who struggles to know people's agendas um, and and intentions. Um, you know, I kind of made a decision. When they when I got divorced and to, yeah I had relationships but no one ever lived was ever going to live with me again yeah. until my girls were adults because I knew I couldn't spot I couldn't spot the nice guy I couldn't spot well, actually no I could spot the nice guy the problem was I thought everyone was a nice guy yeah. whereas now I'm a bit more less Labrador more bloodhound you know <laughs> and, um, it's funny going back to yeah. the acting. I did a I did a film which I won't talk about too much because there's a rude scene in it. But I, uh, kind of twenty thirteen time, and uh, the the director who was casting couldn't make it, so it was the assistant director that did the casting. So the assistant director cast me, and they had to feed back to the director. And he said, "Oh, if she was an animal, what would she be?" Which yeah. I know is often a, an acting one used. <laughs> Said she'd uh, she'd be a Labrador, Labrador because you know, and I said, oh, and she told me about this, and I said, oh, why a Labrador? And they said because you you're sort of person that you open the front door to, they never met you before, but they love you already. And I was like, oh, why a Labrador? You know, no. like, I don't know you, but I love you. You're brilliant. Yeah, because Labradors are just so excited to see you, aren't they? And oh. I was like, oh, God, that's really good. Um, but now I'm a bit more bloodhound. I have to sniff around a bit first, and then I'm a Labrador again. I, I kind of, uh, well, the, way, the reason I behave the way I do is because I couldn't compromise myself. And, and the, what you get is people exposing things about themselves that they wouldn't otherwise show because they always think, yeah, I think I'm a bit stupid, out to lunch and sort of less intelligent, less aware than I am. I think mm -hmm. I shouldn't say intelligent. I think my, my awareness... It, You're very intelligent, Paul. Well, not what I was. Stop being yet. modest. If we wanted modesty, we would have got Anne on. Me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just I just get by on me looks, dear. That's the truth. <laughs> intelligent. Oh, God. Intelligent. Oh, it's all this value judgment stuff in the neurotypical world. That you you know, oh, they're very they're autistic, but they can do things. They're autistic, but they're very intelligent. You know, oh, they're, they're autistic, but they go out of bed this morning. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> It's about right. I always knew there was something wrong by valuing people by their abilities or, yeah. or relating to yourself yeah. in terms of abilities. Mm -hmm. It tended me to the Buddhist religion. I got in a Buddhist movement and that was full of these middle-class graduate intellectuals swanning around. And we had a phrase for him, he's a big man in the selfless game. You know, it was ridiculous. And, that, and that's it got problems of its own, that thing. But nonetheless, I was able to sort of practice. And you do tend to find people everywhere who are just straightforward and and honest, and then you get people with agendas. Yeah. And of course, I don't tend understand to bring those. Sorry? I don't understand those. I don't think I ever will. Yeah. Well, they've got to fight to end. They're constantly going through the world 
and they get this horrendous attitude to vulnerable people. Mm. Yeah, the hatred of disability, the hatred of the less able, which is yeah. something I need to explore in a piece about how I've been made the weaponization process in the early 80s and there's certain initiations I went through as well to grow up. And it gives you a certain genuinely hateful attitude towards the vulnerable. And that's pure ableism. Mm -hmm. You see, yeah. the idea of ableism as, as an inescapable part of being a grown adult neurotypical. Yeah, which is, uh, it's a horrible thing to, to admit, you know. And you, you see, for example, ABA is obviously brainwashing, it's dog training. But no, it's, it's horrendous. You see why people need to do that to a child to keep the family together and to stop everything going to pieces and be able to handle the situation of the child, not to destroy themselves and everybody else. And people, oh, how dare you say that? You know, the community would... Apparently, um, I got removed from, from uh, autistic social groups, and I didn't know because I made a sort of balanced statement about ABA. It's the only mm. thing like it going. You know, it's, yeah. it's either save the limb or cut it off, and ABA's cutting it off, you know. But you yeah. save the body, it's, it's that horrible. Um, I, got, I didn't know, it was Emma, Emma Delmain told me that I've been removed from these groups and because I didn't know, I think it happened years ago, but I didn't notice, you know, because, um, I don't know, that little significance to me really, which is, I don't know, I'm trying to address those groups again and talk about ableism, I think. My, my concern yeah. about ABA is um, if we're, obviously with my safeguarding hat on, because that's my special interest, um, with that, what what we're doing to already very vulnerable young people is um, saying to them, you know, you must do as this adult says. Yeah. And how does that how does that safeguard them in the event of abuse? It just doesn't. Mm. It just you know, there's obviously the huge mountainous issues of the fact that it's it's just wrong anyway. Yeah. But um, but but on top of that, you're making someone incredibly vulnerable more vulnerable why would you do that to any person because I you're, saw it you're trying to disarm their capacity to make their own judgments which you believe will go wrong yeah it's this tyranny of competence thing this maturity tyranny of maturity the idea of people know what they're talking about and not knowing what they're talking about i see i've known so many autistics i keep meeting autistic people and and what, what happens is the judgment is too focused on the self. And in the real world, you've got, to, you've got to maintain a relatively, yeah, yeah, you've got to be a hermit, you've got to be in a safe space, in a safe village. And of course, nutters like myself come and live in London, where it's like the most dangerous place. Because I, I wanted to be a certain kind of person. And you come to the, where it was the high table, the big game, the cruelest people. And I'm not actually cruel. But you learn a sort of cruel attitude and a cruel persona, if that makes sense. I've become very defensive, knee-jerk defensive, because life's taught us quick. You know, you've got to defend yeah. yourself quick. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and even a, a way of... It's not even... Def it's, it's a way of communication. You mm -hmm. have to show to neurotypicals you know the score. If you see what, see what I mean. And part of this is a knowledge of great sort of love and great cruelty and, and great... It's kind of two, all these things balanced out. You've got to know love, cruelty, and hate, and, and compassion, and also understand when people are abusing you. And you must, you must understand them. You must have compassion for people who, mm -hmm. you know. So I, I learned to uh, sort of absorb, really. And I have a family relationship. And what happens uh, many years ago now, I had a meeting with somebody and said, Right, it's all about you. That's it. Me, I've just been going on about me. I've been selfish. Even when I didn't think it was selfish, not just you. And I call it the cafe conversation. And ever since then, it's got stronger and stronger to the point where member of my family is talking to me all the time. They feel safe with me, and, and all I'm doing is asking them how they are and loving them up. And I think, thank God, because I didn't know I was being so um, self-centered. And the way the family dynamic worked was like it went from being this four friends who loved each other. To, it could eat, in the next minute, it would be this arena. It would mm -hmm. be like gladiatorial or something and people screaming and then you go back to everything's cool because we, that was the dynamic we all we all had and then we lost one of us to leukemia. I think my mum died. And then eventually my dad died. Oh, I remember I remember your dad passed and I remember seeing online and you wrote some most beautiful posts about it. I remember that. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, what the hell? Are your parents still going, yeah? 
Yeah. Well, luckily, I've got quite young parents. Yeah. Young parents, so um, they'll probably be great great grandparents by the time their clock's up. Most people have their kind of generation. We have like five generations in what well, people having two or three. So, oh. so yeah, uh, yeah, they're doing great. You you raised a really good point about only talking about our day, only talking about our interests, only talking about us yeah. when it comes to other people. And um, and I'm guilty of that, and I know I do it, be it by letter, pen, email. Yeah. on the phone which is rare because I don't really like the phone too much um or, or just in life and um and it's funny you know because uh, it wasn't until I was diagnosed autistic I can't change it I'm trying to change it but I always thought the more I share about myself the more sensitive I'm being because I'm showing trust because I'm disclosing very sensitive things about me and and I thought the more I talk about my own situation be it positive or negative that's a really kind thing to do because it means the other person doesn't need to disclose um, too much about themselves. But to other people, I find if I'm like that with other autistic people, they're fine. They think it's great. But if I do that to people that aren't, or or even if they don't think it's great, they tolerate it. If I'm with some people that aren't, not all, but some people that aren't autistic, they think they see it as being very um, like narcissistic maybe or, or, or shallow and um, and that's really interesting because actually I, I'm oversharing as a way to say this is how much I love and trust you. I'm going to tell you everything. Mm. You don't have to tell me anything about you because I respect your boundaries. And so it's really interesting. So if someone overshares loads to me, I see it as a great honour. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah. Other people don't see it that way. No, which is, they think it's childish. You see, it's, it's this thing about... Um, knowing what you're talking about, you have to show a certain worldly, and they want to distance. A lot of people don't want to get involved with other people, really. They don't want that kind of relationship. And then some people are into it, and some people they want to distance, but they're also diplomatic. Mm. So they, they think you appreciate that you're not like friends or anything, or you, you don't have a certain depth of relationship. I've been the same, I've gone through the world and able to partition off from others, uh, yeah. and, and unable to relate because I'm terrified all the time anyway whilst looking for a phase of my life, quite terrifying to other people. Uh, and then I go into the Buddhist movement, and I was just brilliant, could relate to people. So I was knocking on doors for Amnesty International and getting on brilliantly with people. I was having a right laugh with people. I was very, very good at it. But again, you just go from technique to technique, and you wonder where the sincerity is. Yeah. Yeah, and then we find uh, that we're autistic. We have the advocacy to meet other autistics, and we can give the game away. And I mean, I used to finish Stealth Aspie shows telling the audience that I can't write a monologue about myself because and, and, I'm still in the closet. And I'm standing on the stage in front of these houses and say, I can't tell you all the truth. I just can't do it, you know. Yeah. God, people burned out, you know, in the end. All that, all that cast, they all burned out. They're all brave people. They kind of did themselves in, left me standing. And it's actually an incredibly hard thing to do, that show. Yeah, uh, it's a brilliant were, show. They were very brave people. They really were, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I just wish you could get it all together again, but I think that it's they're not going to be able to get the original team together because of what, what it did to them, really. This so, is the yeah. thing. We do burn out, don't we? And we, yeah. and we kind of give our give our all. Yeah. Um, and our, our want of perfection mixed in a petri dish of anxiety and yeah. uh, and and extreme fear of failure yeah. means when we do something we do it 100 miles an hour with blinkers on but it's not sustainable is it to to do every project 100 miles an hour and and we burn out well it's the body it's this thing about i asked my doctor about medication for adhd mm. And this doctor was, there's a, there's a number of doctors in the practice, and I met this woman before, and she was really cool. And she said, well, you know that's methamphetamine, don't you? And I'm like, what? Said, At which point you signed up. I'm like, yeah, baby. Said, well, my wife's a, a chemistry teacher, so I'm basically married to Walter White. So I can just go and ask her, you know, get some crystal going. We could have a, we could have a cottage industry, you know? Oh, but but I said no. I'm not doing that. I'm just keeping fit. I'm doing what I've always done, which is fly around and my body and my. Have you got ADHD as well, Paul? 
I kind of am ADHD. One, before I got into my 50s, more energy I got, happier I was, happier I was, more energy. And yeah. so I, I tend to think clearly the faster I go. But then I got into my 50s, now I'm 57. I'm like a normal autistic person where things get on top of me. And again, yeah. well, it never used to be like that. It was just the energy thing of flying around. For me, when I say autism, it's an umbrella term. And it's kind of like a mixing desk of different levels of ADHD, OCD, dyspraxia, dyslexia, sensitivity. But for other people, you get, oh, I'm not autistic. I'm dyspraxic with dyslexia and some yeah. ADHD, which I think is, is, is not accurate because I, I think that's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You don't know how much is masked and co- masking coping, maturity, intelligence, personality. Yeah, we'll never know. Because people like ourselves grew up on the end of a gun. That's it. You shape up. You dance, okay? Yeah. You do the job. You wake up in the morning or a baby wakes you up. Right, yeah. Because I'm still able to keep my edge up now, despite this life I'm living, which is like paradise, because Elizabeth's got type 1 diabetes. Mm-hmm. So you don't know when she's going to keel over. I mean, we were on a, on a DLR train the other day, and she started having a hypo. And I had oh, to get her gosh. off, get her on the right train <laughs> at the station, and continue to give her glucose. And we were lucky that one. She came up, but she could have actually hit the deck, dragging her oh, off, getting the ambulance crew on, you know, delaying the train. Stuff like that. It's quite normal. We know all the hospitals everywhere. You know, we have a supply of these special glucogen hyperstop syringes that they have in the ambulances. And they didn't have them in Paris, you know. We had a hypo. Did they no, we had a hypo in a pizza restaurant in Paris in 2009. And the ambulance crew didn't have gear like that at all. They, so we're very lucky, aren't we? They had to get jam from next door and try and feed it to her and take her to the hospital and give her a drip there, yeah. That was really kind of like um, a parish cliche then. We had to go to the croissant shop and get all the jam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I Thank thought God my wife was priceless, but it turned out she's only worth about 53 euros. Cause, cause what, we the, to... um, what, the jam? No, no, paying, jam? For the, paying for the hospital <laughs> and getting it back on the travel insurance, but... It turned out I, I, she was only worth 53 euros. I thought I could have got a load of wives. Didn't realise. Oh, That's God. how much we paid to get my wife out of the hospital. <laughs> I thought, I thought she's pregnant. Really? Oh, heavens. <laughs> That's 53 what it pounds, bargain. Yeah, bargain. <laughs> Shouldn't say that, really, should I? <laughs> God. So what does your future... You got an MBE. You got an MBE, didn't you? Your I know, mother. that's crazy, isn't it? Mother, yeah, yeah. You met Princess Anne. You know what it stands for, don't you? Member of the British Empire. Must be early. Oh. <laughs> you know I hate being late. Good. <laughs> so that's the that's the inside joke with uh, with my colleagues that it's this must be early. Princess I'm always early. I'm like two or three hours early. I yeah. once went to a conference where I was speaking at ten o'clock that morning, and I turned up at four o'clock in the afternoon the day before. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I wasn't just waiting there with my microphone. You couldn't help it. It's anxiety, and it's also just yeah. being on time, isn't it? Because you can't, hate being late. You my, can't see one of my the big anxiety. Do, do you do a lot of things to be aware of the anxiety? Have you got exercises and sort of little disciplines you go and stuff um, you do to be aware of it? I walk a lot. I walk yeah. about four hours a day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hence why I've lost a couple of stone in lockdown. And I guess that's my meditation. The way I do it with the, with the dog. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so a border collie, you have to walk four hours a day anyway. Uh, Two hours in the morning, hours in the evening. Otherwise, you know... You've got a very upset dog. I, I used to do about two hours, an hour to two hours walking on my own a day. Mm. I remember you'd have to do it before you went to bed and, and, and sometime. I had a job as a messenger for a year once, which was great, running around. Spend your lunch break walking around as well. Now I'm like, oh, oh, I'm get out of the granddad, the, the sofa, you see, the sofa of glory. And I can't get up. I'm like, oh, be like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Be back. But all these things from living a... A vigorous life, you know. Yeah. So I go to the gym, go swimming, you know. Ooh, I don't want to do it. Are you a good swimmer? Yeah, I've been practicing a lot. My dad taught me. Uh, he missed his opportunity there. He shouldn't have taught me to swim. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I do a lot. I practice me diving. I always get to do this one dive when I start. Do you go swimming? Oh, wow. I can't swim. Oh, you should. I can't ride a bike. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know I, dis- I didn't know I had dyspraxia until I was yeah. diagnosed, and there was a few dyspraxic, um, what's the word, highlights, I guess, on there. Mm. Um, I don't really. 
Um, I'm very good at dancing as long as it's to my own beat. Yeah. Put some music on, I'm the happiest person in the room. I'm having a great time. Might not be in time to the music. It's like abstract. Right. I was like that myself. <laughs> yeah, you go off on your own energy. Yeah. You this experience. Because we can, do, you know, so you can develop a joy or a buzz when you're autistic. What with dancing or yeah, just in general? With dancing and with you with certain act activities and doing some things you love, you get into this stone state. You yeah, euphoria. It's really good. Yeah, I do like I a bit of dancing. I've been dancing with the dog. <laughs> to um, so yeah, we do this thing. I right, don't laugh. No, you can laugh. No, because it's funny. Um, doggy dancing. Doggy dancing. Which consists of me having maybe an old tea towel or duster or something. So I'll start dancing. Dog attaches to the other end of the duster. We're dancing away. And anyway, we keep um, dancing for some reason on my Spotify playlist. Uh, Billy Elliot, you know, yeah. um, Electricity. Yeah. Beautiful song. And uh, now every time that song comes on, he, the dog starts dancing. <laughs> like, and, and obviously he's a service dog, so I'm really worried about if I ever take him to watch Billy Elliot. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the minute... Electricity comes on, he's just going to start dancing. Well, you might get away with it. You've got to find the rights. Because they used to sell tickets for all that, you know, and all these venues. Where's Billy Elliot on? don't know, actually. And I probably know the venue. I've probably been in there, seen something. You've got to get the right place. If you can get it in the stalls, the cast might love it. If you can get it in the, in the stalls in the middle and you're on the yeah. aisle seat with the doggy, is it your dog? It's my daughter's yeah, assistant's daughter. dog. I've, I've oh. been training him, and I borrow him sometimes. Oh. Not all the time, but yeah. I, I do all the um, all the walking and training. Yeah, you got well, to get the cast tipped off. This is going to happen. That would really help. There's a, there's a there's a a dog dancing, and they they work it in the act. You say it's yeah. um, it would be a, it, it may go viral on YouTube or whatever or TikTok or whatever other days. It would help the performance. Uh, you know, it's really good publicity. Well, Doggy that. dances in show. You know, the dog was there, started dancing, and you'd be on talking about he always dances to electricity with electricity at home. You say, he's yeah, they he's love got a routine. That. Yeah, Carly, he's got a routine Carly, to it. It's been brilliant talking to you. I've got to give you a rest. We could go on and on and on. This has been very moving. You know, I'm so glad we had this conversation. Oh, me too, Paul. I I don't know if I um said anything that could be of any use to anyone but it's nice isn't it just to have a, a chat with no um yeah. no expectations of it none whatsoever that's what I'm, what I'm trying to do just talk to other autistic people just as people it's all this business about tell me about your ocd and it's like god's yeah. sake you know round and round and round we go all right you're autistic but who are you Where yeah you? what do you yeah. yeah that's really good actually because a lot of the time it's a lot of time it can just feel like training rather than let's just have a chat. Yeah. About each other beyond our, our work hats. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there, but thank you so much. For, oh, it's nice to see you, Paul. Nice Take to care of yourself. You too. And good much love, love to, to the family. I hope we'll meet again. Oh, we will, we shall. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye bye.